Welcome to the Pacey Performance Podcast. Today, I'm speaking with sports performance specialist at Coach Me Plus, Doug McKenney. Thanks for tuning in to episode 155 of the Pacey Performance Podcast. So today I have the sports performance specialist at Coach Me Plus, Doug McKenney. So one thing I didn't know about Coach Me Plus and about Doug was that he was the one who commissioned the guys who now own Coach Me Plus to create a solution for his strength and conditioning programs uh, for players that went uh, in the, away in the off-season. So that's a little bit of uh, a little bit of background on on Coach Me Plus and, and Doug that I didn't really know. So naturally, given Doug's position at Coach Me Plus and his kind of history with the company, we discuss athlete management systems, um, a lot on the market, and a lot of um, different ones that do that specify in certain areas. So it was great to get Doug's perspective on athlete management systems and where they're actually going uh, and what people actually want. So with Doug's, um, Doug's incredible experience in ice hockey, uh, ice hockey did kind of get the brunt of the discussion uh, and his work in strength and conditioning within the NHL. So if you are involved in ice hockey, um, it's definitely one to, uh, this, de- this episode is definitely one to listen to. If you can do really well with nutrition, sleep and recovery, if you can hit those three things uh, and do well with either measuring them or teaching, educating the importance of them, utilizing as many of the resources around that stuff as you possibly can, and you can have some great successes. So just before we do get into the chat with Doug, uh, I want to say a massive thanks to Coach Me Plus for sponsoring this episode today. So links in quite nicely. Uh, Doug's actually the sports performance specialist of Coach Me Plus. Um, so if you do want to learn more about Coach Me Plus, make sure you uh, obviously listen to this uh, listen to this podcast, but also check them out online at coachmeplus.com. Also, big thanks as always to Val Performance, makers of the Nordboard and Groin Bar, and you can uh, check them out on uh, online at valdperformance.com as well as on Twitter at valdperformance. So thanks again for tuning in. I would love your feedback as always um, and I hope you enjoy episode 155 with Doug McKenney. Thanks for tuning in to the Pacey Performance Podcast. So this evening I have the pleasure in speaking to Doug McKenney, who is the founding coach and sports performance specialist at Coach Me Plus. So welcome to the podcast, Doug. No, oh, thank you for having me. That's great to have you, mate. Anyone that doesn't know who you are, I just want to give us a little quick background on you, uh, education, previous jobs, and what you're currently doing at Coach Me Plus. Sure. I'm, uh, as I mentioned, I'm the founding coach and sports performance specialist for Coach Me Plus. I was in professional sports for 30 years as a performance coach in strength and conditioning. I worked with uh, three NHL teams, the Pittsburgh Penguins in the 80s, the Hartford Whalers in the 90s and the Buffalo Sabres for 20 years. I uh, went to school at Springfield College and have a master's degree in exercise physiology. And, uh, you know, one of my uh, close friends, Kevin Davidovitz, uh, is the one who I kind of commissioned to help me, you know, get started with Coach Me Plus, and that's where I, you know, live now in, in, in sports. Nice. So what's your, what's your day-to-day at Coach Me Plus? 
Um, you know, it's funny. I've, uh, you know, done as much travel with Coach Me Plus as I did in the National Hockey League over the 30 years. I, I travel all over the place talking to um, professional sports teams, uh, colleges, universities. Um, we have been, you know, talking a lot to the, the military about the use of athlete management systems and how it can, you know, positively affect their decision making, improve their performance and reduce the chance for injury. So it's, you know, the typical day is, you know, just a lot of consulting, a lot of time spent uh, with the experiences I've had at the NHL level um, and how they can be, you know, utilized effectively in the situations they're in. Mm-hmm. So what was, what was SNC like back in, uh, back when you started out in the NHL? You know, <laughs> incredible, <laughs> just incredible. <laughs> you know, in the 80s, um, you know, it was funny because they didn't have uh, a lot of uh, ex- exposure to training. You know, um, they, uh, and I'm not just talking about the, the uh, Canadians or, or the Americans. Or, I think the Europeans were actually ahead of us in, in the training status in hockey. But in the 80s, it was so much education. Um, uh, uh, they weren't exposed to jump training, as an example. They, you know, they didn't, a lot of times, uh, the teams, you know, they would get to the rink half hour before they were on the ice and put their, their skates on and, you know, just hop out there and get going. So I had to, I had to basically teach them about, you know, proper warm-up and, um, range of motion stretching you know we did uh you know we went through the whole gamut of how to prepare for you know practices and games um nutrition was on the way back it just you know the the pre-game meals and post-game meals there was actually you know there was no uh feedings whatsoever you know of the athletes except for a pre-game meal and as you and i both know you know no one meal is more important than the other when you've got when you're expending as many calories as these guys were doing, and uh, you know they had no idea about caloric intake, about the breakdown of nutrients, the importance of carbohydrates and proteins. Uh, so you know it was early in the '80s. It was uh, a lot of teaching, a lot of teaching from top down to the uh, presidents and the general managers and the coaches. Uh, really didn't have any exposure or knowledge with regard to good solid training and decision making with regard to um, you know sports performance um, and it started to, to improve through the 90s uh, I think what was happening is you're getting more um, of the internet and more of where things were with regard to um, personal trainers involvement uh, there were more strength coaches being hired within the league so that there was more impact with, you know, uh, the message of preparation. Um, and then in, in the 2000s, basically, um, you know, you're, I don't know of an athlete today uh, in any sport that doesn't have his own personal trainer. And so that brings it a, a whole nother level of stuff that you have to deal with. Uh, as a strength coach or as a sports performance specialist in a uh, professional setting, um, you got to work with those people because they have the same kind of relationship that you have with the players. Now in, in hockey, we've, 
you know, we've got them for seven months out of the year, so you can build a really solid relationship with them. Um, but then those three months or four months that they're away from the rink, and it's interesting because the collective bargaining agreement, you know, really um, stifles what can be done by by staff members. Um, but they all have their own personal trainers, and so you have to deal with them. You have to be able to share information, communicate well with them, um, and uh, and and try to get to a point where uh, the individual athlete is pleased with what you've got and what his personal trainer in the summertime will have. It's definitely different dynamics from 80s to 90s to the 2000s. Mm-hmm. So with regards to managing them, not managing them, I suppose, building relationships with them personal trainers uh, that these guys have got, how hard is that? Is there, a, is, is, is there often conflicts? Is there... You know, is it is it quite easy to to build them kind of relationships for them guys that are spending three or four months with your your players? Yeah, I you know, there's uh, I I think the best way of putting it is is that um, there are a lot of very very talented personal trainers and and sports performance people out um, in the general population, um, and they have. And many of them have done a fantastic job, um, but there's also uh, pockets of uh, personal trainers and sports performance personnel that have clients that, you know, they're behind, you know, um, where we need them to be. And if there's a trust level with that player, then you've got to you've got to emphasize to the player, you know, listen, we've got to spend some time with your guy, you know. Um, he's got to know that here's some of your limitations, here's some of your strengths, here's some of your asymmetries, here's some of the things that, you know, um, he's going to have to pay attention to over the, you know, four months that you're away from here. And that's a, that's a, you know, it's a pretty fine line that you're, you're doing because obviously this, generally speaking, these players, they'll pick somebody they're comfortable with or know, or in, in some cases they don't, and then, then it's easy. But what I ended up doing was because of our platform that we were you you know got started with with Coaching Plus and everything. I had a program that I could you know um, assign to that player, and then I told the player, "All right, I want you to share this with your personal trainer as soon as you get home. In fact, I want you to share it with them before you get home, so that we have time to discuss this with him and see what he likes and see what he doesn't like. See what you know whether or not he can you know wants to utilize this, and then." You know, essentially what you're doing is uh, you're um, comparing notes and and then at the same point in time securing, you know, the areas where that athlete needs to make, you know, significant gains and, and also the areas where he's perhaps at risk. So we'll reduce those, the chance for injury by, by doing certain things. So it can be, it can be tough. You know, it can be a, a difficult situation. I've talked to a lot of my peers and there's a lot of frustration with regard to that. But on the other side of the coin, um, when you find you know some really good, talented people, you can learn from them too. I mean, you can learn you know some of the things that they like and why they're doing what they're doing, and then you can implement it in your own programs. Mm-hmm. So that that's where Coach Me Plus was born out of, was it? Yeah, yeah, okay. absolutely. Yeah. We we started um, with a builder program. You know, that's kind of the when I commissioned uh, Kevin and his. Um, staff uh, several years ago, ten, over like close to ten years ago, um, 
when I commissioned them, basically it was for the builder because I had, you know, players all over the world. And when they left our facility, I wanted to be able to um, know that they had a good, solid program designed specifically for them and they could do it right off their tablet, computer, iPhone, you know, whatever. And, of course, that's not the case in the 80s and the 90s, but it was, you know, uh, in the late 2000s from 2010 on. We pretty much, you know, had that in play. You know, if you go back into the 80s, it was the traditional old conditioning manuals. And, you know, I, I, I did a lot of things that most all other strength coaches were doing. Put in a manual and give it to everybody. It was pretty much the same program. You can kind of made you know, specifications and recommendations based on some things and you kind of hand wrote it in, hand wrote it in there. And, and then from there, you, you know, you, uh, you hope for the best is really what it amounted to. Um, now you have the ability to see that, um, uh, you you have the ability to actually see their, their, uh, um, their lifts and their exercises and their workouts as they complete them. And that's a valuable tool simply because you can make adjustments and you can make suggestions and recommendations on the go. Mm-hmm. So I just want to talk about, obviously you've mentioned Coach Me Plus there, but athlete management systems as a whole, and obviously you've probably got more exposure to teams that are obviously thinking about going down this the athlete management uh, system route. But what are, what are the questions that teams are asking that they want you to to solve with Coach Me Plus. What do, what do, what do teams actually want from an athlete management system? That's a good question too. You know, it's funny. Uh, I've been in pro sports my whole adult life, and when I was actively in it with the teams I was working with, I always felt like I was chasing, uh, not doing enough. You know, now that I've had the opportunity to be out from behind the four walls, I clearly see that we were doing some really good things and quite honestly, very innovative work. Um, But I guess what I'm saying is I established a plan. It was a goal, you know, and I knew the questions we needed to answer for the athlete and the coach. Um, We set out to create a culture that would include everybody, you know, athletic trainers, physical therapists, uh, player development, you know, everybody to enhance performance and reduce the chance for injury. And, you know, what I see through my work with Coaching Plus over the last two years is that many organizations, uh, teams, and performance personnel, they are struggling to figure out what they want to accomplish in, you know, this highly technology-driven era, you know. And uh, it really gets back to what questions do you need to have answered and how can you get it done? You know, my concern is that a lot of performance personnel are just trying to keep up with the Joneses and, uh, you know, they, they, they really haven't thought about what they need to accomplish. And, and you know, that's a problem. You know, I think, you know, they, they, uh, there's, there's some great um, products out there, Edge 10, Smarter Base, Trainer Role, Team Builder, Athlete Monitoring, Kinduck, you know. And honestly, when I commissioned Virtuvia, which is the group that helped me get started with Culture Plus, I didn't even know much about athlete management systems. I was just trying to find a way to get, you know, better at my job. I was collecting a lot of information on our players. 
I wanted to use this data to help the, the individual athlete and the coaching staff in the organization. And I needed a way to have all the data in one place uh, to help us all make good, sound decisions on a daily basis. You know, Coach Me Plus, you know, really has ended up being one of the best systems in the world. And uh, honestly, I'm, I'm just humbled to be part of it. Um, but I think, you know, when you ask that question of what are they looking for, I think that's essentially that's the bottom line with what I'm doing in terms of consulting is saying, look, you know, it's great if you want to have a, an athlete management system and here's some of the keys to it. But, you know, compliance is a huge issue. Having a, a staff of people that are all interested in looking at various different things to help them make decisions, you know, everybody's got to be on board with this. Otherwise, you have no chance of making it work. Um, and so there, you know, the first, the first thing is, is you got to have, you know, I got to have a plan and you got to know that, um, everybody will be on board to yank on the rope for that plan, you know? Um, so, you know, I don't know necessarily as I could answer outright, what are they looking for? I think, you know, because of all the technology today, um, and the fact that, you know, when I was honestly, uh, Rob, when, when I started in the NHL, when I started collecting uh, internal load data, it wasn't even internal load data. I mean, I had, there were, there were no team units. So basically I had a belt and a watch and I would stand at the, the entrance to the ice uh, and as each player, each guy had a belt and a watch, which I can't believe I actually got our, you know, <laughs> yeah, I, I got our, you know, our comptrollers and everybody did agree to have one for every, <laughs> every player. But I would stand at the entrance of the ice and start their watch, which was attached to the belt of their hockey pants. And um, they would go out and I'd just start them all up. And then when practice was over, I'd be standing at the exit of the rink there and turning them all off. And then they would turn in their watches and I would put them on a modem and enter their, their data in from practice. And then for the rest of the afternoon and evening, I would be breaking down and analyzing that data. And, you know, it's crazy because, you know, what I learned from all that is just incredible over time. And then when it got easier and easier and easier with, you know, team units and, and then, you know, where, where it was from, you know, what I was looking at is just heart rate data into training effect and trimp and player load and, you know, um, We've come a long ways, but at the same point in time, when you talk about what are they looking for, it has a lot to do with, you know, how can we improve performance, reduce the chance for injury, and the decision makers who are going to be part of this, you know, how can we pull everybody in and to look at this stuff? And the other part of it, you know, not to, to drive you crazy with this answer, but um, is that more sports teams today have analytics departments. You know, they're, they're hiring left and right people to analyze data and to, you know, put together algorithms. Back in the 80s and 90s and even early 2000s, there wasn't very many teams in any of the sports that were hiring analytics people. Um, so this is this has really gone, you know, a, a totally different direction um, and for the better. Um, but people have to also realize that you know, this isn't about keeping up with the Joneses. We're not getting a catapult system or a Zephyr system or a, a first beat or, or polar, 
because so-and-so got it. We're doing it because we need to find out, you know, how much stress and how much work is being done and how can we recover properly from it so that we can be at our you know, highest levels of performance daily. Mm -hmm. I think the big thing there is, you said right near the end, is the um, the pulling pulling people in from different departments, whether it be the physiotherapy department, whether it be the coaching department. Everyone's got a vested interest in an athlete management system. Everyone's got a little piece of the pie, whereas some of the bits of tech may be specific to a specific department. But with an athlete management system, everyone wants something, which is great because everyone can get invested in this product, whichever product it may be. Um, so I think that's that's the key with athlete management systems, that they actually do bring people together. And it's all in, obviously, given the, given the name, it's all in one place and gets collated together. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And, you know, the, the funny part about it is, is that um, I've heard this said many, many times over the last couple of years that, you know, um, particularly in the States, uh, you know, we work in silos. And, you know, I, I've seen that too. Um, it wasn't what didn't happen to be the case where, where I was working, fortunately, um, because everybody, again, was kind of on board with it. And, you know, the interesting part of that, when everybody's on board with it, the compliance is greater. And a lot of times when there's a lack of success with regard to um, sports performance, a uh, sports performance culture, is that, you know, there's a lack of compliance. And one of the reasons why there's a lack of compliance is because not everybody's pulling on the rope. And uh, so you're, you're absolutely right. I think, you know, you don't want to work in silos. You want everybody working together and you want everybody to have input into um, the really critical decisions about um, travel, you know, about uh, practice times, um, that sort of thing. And uh, interestingly enough, you know, one of the things that for me, when I first got into strength and conditioning, um, you know, after grad school, you know, I think I had, I had some great mentors, but, you know, one of the things that I realized at that point in time is if you can do really well with nutrition, sleep, and recovery, if you can hit those three things uh, and do well with either measuring them or teaching, educating the importance of them, utilizing as many of the resources around that stuff as you possibly can, and you can have some great successes. And, um, you know, part of that is that everybody kind of has to have, be on the same page when it comes to, you know, the proper sleep, the proper recovery, and the, and the nutritional practices. As always, just going to take a very quick break in the chat with Doug. I hope you're enjoying part one. So in part two, we discuss more on athlete tracking and the kind of tran more on the transition that Doug made from heart rate systems and the kind of uh, the basic systems that were out in the early uh, late eighties and early nineties to athlete tracking as it is today. But just before we get into the part two with Doug, just want to say a big thanks to Force Decks for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. So if you are looking for a Force platform uh, hardware and software solution, um, everyone seems to be in Force Decks. Uh, so make sure you check them out at forcedex.com and on Twitter at Force Decks. So if you are wanting to get a little bit more information uh, without directly getting in touch with those guys, make sure you check out episode 139 of the podcast, um, which features Dr. Daniel Cohen, who's one of the 
the co-owners of Forstex. Uh, but he also goes into a lot of depth with regards to jump monitoring as a whole. Um, so definitely, if that is uh, something you're looking into, uh, make sure you give that a listen. But over to part two with Doug. Hope you enjoy and all feedback welcome. So one thing I just want to touch on, um, which kind of builds on what you said about the, the heart rate and the watches, uh, is moving into athlete tracking. How's that? How was that influencing practice when you left the Sabres in 2015? How far, obviously there's been a massive journey from them kind of heart rate watches, but were, but were decisions being made on this technology? Yeah, um, the when I was describing the watches, that was back in the 80s with the um, Penguins. Um, and we weren't even, at that point in time, we weren't even using them um, during every practice. It was when I got into... Hartford in the 90s that I had the entire team wearing them um, and you know uh, an interesting story here too is that um, well, I think one of the reasons why I was able to get um, our coaches our general manager and our coaches on board with it was one of the assistant coaches was really really frustrated with a star defenseman and um, you know his shift lengths were you know close to a minute over a minute pretty regularly and he fatigued you know really easily through the course of every period and um and we had these uh these these heart rate belts and, and watches and you know he was complaining about the fact that this this we've got to we've got to teach this guy that he's you know the average shift is somewhere between 35 and 50 seconds you know and he's out there you know over a minute and you know, he was asking me questions, you know, what, what would happen if he was, you know, be at, you know, 45 seconds to, you know, 48 seconds and shifts. And I said, well, you know, first, first question to me was, is he in shape? And the guy said, yeah, all, all the uh, indicators are there that he's in shape. You look at his peak, peak skating heart rate and you look at uh, in between bouts of work, he recovers almost by 40, 50 beats in less than a minute. And so, you know, that's a really good indicator that he's in shape. But obviously the load number is going to exponentially increase with as many hard, long shifts as he has. Um, if he can keep them shorter, he'll recover better in between the shifts. And so anyway, the, the bottom line was is that um, there was a, a purpose for uh, us to use it. And that became easier for me to, to get them to you know, purchase it and putting it into place and then be able, and then, you know, uh, essentially what happens is, is that, you know, the players, when they start to wear it, they start to ask questions. How did it look today? My legs were heavy. I'm, uh, I'm tired. I'm, you know, you know, all these questions and, and they would come back every single day and ask, you know, what did my heart rate look like today? What did my recovery between, you know, um, uh, the uh, the bouts of work that I was doing, so they become curious and they want to understand it more, and they appreciate the the feedback you're getting with it, and so it kind of drives itself. You know what happens when you're when you're tracking players, and it doesn't make any difference whether it's internal load or external load. If you're doing something on the way of you know external load, they'd want to know what their distance was and their top speed and their average speed, and they'd want to know. You know, so, you know, for me, especially during the 80s, it was more internal load. And then as we got into the 
I'm sorry, in the 90s, when we got into the 2000s, I actually began to know what to expect from, you know, the different types of practices. I was able to educate um, the coaches on how many tough practices we could have per week. You know, if we're playing three games, that means we have three games in one week. That means we have four days. What are we going to do with those four days? Um, you know, are we going to take one day off? Are we going to have kind of like a recovery um, uh, on ice skate day? And then the other two can be, be average and, and hard work. Um, I actually broke it down into, you know, five different things. One was an extremely hard workout, a hard workout, an average workout, and a um, recovery. And then the fifth one was the day off. So when I brought this, you know, kind of formula and, 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 and tablet, you know, to the, uh, to the coaching staff, you know, we were able to um, determine which days were going to be, you know, the best days to train them, which ones were the best days to let them totally recover, meaning a day off, and what were the days where we we're going to back off at very varying de uh, degrees of, of difficulty. And so in terms of tracking, it, 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 whether it was internal load or whether it was from subjective information from questionnaires, um, you know, we would get back at 2 o'clock in the morning and, um, you know, they'd get up the next morning and fill out their questionnaire and, you know, almost all of them were sleep-deprived, glycogen depleted, you know, dehydrated, you know, then you know you're not going to get much out of them in terms of practice. So a bunch of these things over a period of time that you're, you're tracking and, 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 and looking at allow you to, you know, put in place uh, the best case scenario for winning games. And when you can bring that back to a general manager, an owner, a general manager, and a head coach, then you, a lot of times you have you know, success in, in implementing and then not just the implementation, but also uh, the compliance. Mm -hmm. So with, with athlete tracking, companies kind of taking things on uh, again into trying to be more specific, whether it be rugby or American football or obviously ice hockey, getting more complex with the, the, the kind of algorithms that are put in this in these technologies. Do you think that's... Do you think that is beneficial to the practitioner and therefore the coach and therefore the players? Or do you think it's just adding, adding to the noise that's already out there? Well, as, you know, I'm, uh, I'm quite sure when I answer this question, a lot of people will be frustrated with me. But I, I think there's a lot of older strength coaches like myself, you know, who've been around and seen a lot and done a lot of different things. But I think... You know, a lot of the stuff that we're doing today is overboard. You know, we're reaching now and trying to find more and more and more stuff to just have numbers on. And so it's a bit scary for me in terms of where do you, where do you turn that off? And like you said, you know, the best sports performance people, one of the things that they say more often than not is let's get rid of the noise and find out the things that we really need you know, to find out more than anything else. And so, um, you know, I'm, I'm in agreement with that. And I think the algorithms that you can put into place, uh, readiness algorithm, um, you know, an, an algorithm that may, you know, 
give you a, a better idea about the efficiency of a stride, you know, various different things like that. I, you know, I think it can start to get a little messy. And, um, but at the same point in time, I think if you've got some good, qualified, very, very skilled people and you keep it behind the scenes and not so much, you know, uh, uh, out and, and in the open where the, the athletes and the coaches kind of can second guess, I think there's a better chance for success with that stuff. Um, but I know there are some, you know, professional sports teams that have put together some some pretty cool algorithms. Um, if I were in a position to work with uh, another uh, team at some point in time and, and uh, they were asking me, you know, is this something that you would be in favor of doing? I would do it, um, but I would do it in a very controlled fashion um, and make sure that it was behind the scenes until we were quite sure that um, that what we had um, had built and, and, and were able to utilize would um, not muddy the waters. And I think that's the, the key to, uh, you know, um, when you're collecting as much data as everybody's collecting, I think that's one of the things that you have to do is make sure you don't muddy the waters and you don't get frustrated with the fact that you don't have the answers you want to have. I think you just kind of um, keep keep driving, keep working at you know, finding ways to improve performance and reduce the chance for injury. Do you think, and this may be contradicting your, your day job, but do you think people jump in with two feet often in certain technologies rather than um, doing their due diligence on what is actually the techno what the, the technology is actually telling them and like you mentioned before keeping up the Joneses being rushed into making a purchase before actually knowing what I'm going to get out of this and is what I'm going to get out of yeah. this yeah. what I actually want need and expect yeah, yeah, you're you're absolutely right. That's exactly uh, there. There's a high percentage of people who are doing that. In fact, it, it really kind of uh, some examples are you know because uh, and I, I don't want to put names out there, but because one school does this and they have this, you know, another school will do it only because of the recruiting factor. You know, oh, they got this and they got this and they got this and they got this and you know, it's just like them building the best facilities. Everybody's got to keep up with the other one in terms of, you know, facilities so they can get the best recruits. And it's happening not just at colleges and universities, but professional sports teams. You know, they, you know, because of free agency and everything else, if you've got, you know, this phenomenal training facility, and most of the time these guys aren't even training there. But, you know, <laughs> you know it's, it's really – it really is about keeping up with the Joneses in a lot of the cases instead of really, you know, looking out. If, if you've got a really um, focused group of, of uh, sports performance personnel, um, you know, I think a lot of times what they do is they, they go back to the plan. What's the plan? What are we looking for? What do we want to answer? But all too many of the other groups of people, they're doing it because – They've heard that so-and-so does this and they're using this and we need to get something. And so then they start to, um, whether it's an actual wearable device or whether it's an actual platform or whether it's, 
you know, um, a test, an evaluation that somebody's doing, and then they start just doing this stuff, um, and they don't have a place to put it that can actually analyze it and put it together and have meaning. And so uh, I would agree with you wholeheartedly. I think that's that's one of the issues with uh, um, with where we are in in in, uh, in uh, athlete management um, and the fact that. You know, we've got a, a whole lot more people today that are being hired at all levels of sport, whether it's, uh, you know, the professional teams, the colleges and universities. You know, now you're seeing sports performance directors, and these people are, you know, um, responsible for overseeing what's being done, you know, at different levels within the organization. And, you know, before it was just, and I, I don't, I'm not making this up, when I first started in, most of the 80s and, and most of the 90s, there was one athletic trainer. Sometimes you'd have an assistant. There was one strength coach. There was one or two uh, equipment managers. And the coaching staff was, in hockey, it was a head coach and an assistant coach. Now you, you have as many as five or six coaches. Um, and you have two or three trainers, which includes you know, a regular athletic trainer, certified athletic trainer, an assistant certified athletic trainer, and then a physical therapist, you know, and most of the strength and conditioning coaches on staff, you know, have at least an assistant, you know, so, and now you're even extending it beyond that. Now you're having a sports performance uh, director that's kind of overseeing, you know, all these aspects of things. And so, you know, it's changed dramatically. Um, but I still think there are the issues of, you know, a real solid plan in place, a goal, and then, you know, can you actually deliver on um, getting a culture established, a sports performance culture that is, you know, effective for the entire organization. Mm-hmm. So one one last thing that I wanted to uh, to bring up, and you mentioned it very briefly there, that was uh, athlete testing. So pretty specifically, given your background uh, in ice hockey, um, do you just want to talk to us a little bit about maybe how that's evolved and and what kind of position you were in with regards to why you were testing and how you were testing uh, at the point where in in two thousand fifteen when you made this transition. Yeah, you know, um, I have to be honest with you. Over the years, I came to realize that most testing in hockey was highly overrated, difficult, and limiting. Because of the collective bargaining agreement between the players and the owners and the the establishment of how that all would work, um, it only allowed for testing to be done on one day at the start of training camp, and it became impossible to do it soundly. Um now, you know, the focus that I believe, you know, should be on basically just two tests, body composition and on-ice testing. All other screening, you know, would be part of a team physician screening process. Um, strength values would be projected from our weight room workouts. You know, I wouldn't do it any other way. And, you know, quite honestly, um, I made the same mistakes as everybody else and probably... Um, you know, over the years, if I could have done things differently, I think that's probably one of the things that I would have, you know, we we traditionally did, you know, some sort of 
um, to six to eight battery of tests on the very first day of camp. It wasn't until probably my last 10 years where I went to the GM and coaches and I said to them, look, we don't need this. We don't need to do this. What we need to do is these two tests. I developed a, an on-ice skate test that had, you know, basically the indexes that I thought were most important, power, speed, agility, endurance, and recovery. And and then I did body composition. And I, I've said this when I've uh, um, spoke at, at many different uh, um, places that, you know, if, if you said to me, uh, you can only do one test, what would, that, what would that test be? It would be body composition. I mean, I can get more information about body composition on an athlete than anything else. Um, you know, that that affects their, you know, their speed, their endurance, their agility, uh, their productivity. Um, uh, their level of fitness will be impacted by that. Almost everything, almost every bit of information that I think I would need to know can basically come right from that body composition. And then, you know, if they were allowed me a second test, then I would do, you know, that on-ice skate test. Um, but in terms of you know, screening and that sort of thing, um, you know, I we, we were left with no other alternative other than, you know, to uh, to put that in the hands of the, the trainers and the doctors and the physical therapist because they're doing um, uh, physicals and testing on the same day. And, uh, you know, I think... If you're going to do on ice, on ice and off ice movement assessments, most teams now do an on ice skate test that have you know those profiles that I was talking about, those indexes that I was talking about. That test could be and should be probably videotaped, and additional markers can be established for baseline movement assessments related to efficiency or you know for that matter a deficiency in stride. And it's very possible to compare with asymmetries recognized with with off-ice screening. So I think the off-ice screening part of it um, probably has to be put in the hands of the, the medical personnel because you just don't have time uh, to do it. Um, I don't know if that makes sense or not, uh, Rob, but I... No, no, absolutely. Yeah, of course it does, absolutely. So that's that's maximizing the time for the athlete as well. You're just, you're just wasting training time if you're taking one, two, three days to to do testing, which can be actually integrated into the trend itself. Exactly. And I, my biggest issue with that, especially that, like I said, I was just like everybody else in the first, you know, first few years, 10 years, I'd say, you know, I was just doing it and because everybody was doing it and the coaches wanted it and the GM wanted to know what this was and that was and how are they, how did, how was their off season training? And, you know, you got all that and you had to do it basically in one day and what I found was and you know early on in the 80s and early 90s not only did you do the testing but the coaches wanted them on the ice that day too so what, what I was finding was is that we were putting these guys at risk on day one um, you know they wanted to show what they did in the off season with all the testing that we were doing and then they were getting into their 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 gear and going on the ice and having a balls to the wall, you know, workout uh, practice, and you know that's day one. We're gonna turn around the next day. We've got the onset of muscle soreness, you know. We've got 
you know, we got, we got all kinds of issues with dehydrated, you know, so there were so many reasons not to do that testing. And what I ended up doing was I, I said to the players, you know, when you come in, we're going to do, you know, workouts, you know, and from those workouts, we're going to project your levels of, of uh, improvement in strength. And so there were various different things that I curved and did, but essentially what I described to you, I think is probably by far best practice for, um, you know, testing and evaluating for hockey. Now, I couldn't speak to, you know, professional football. I think they're kind of in the same professional U.S. US football. I think they're probably in the same boat, you know. Um, fortunately, they get to see more of their athletes through the course of their summer workouts because they're, um, they're not restricted by uh, collective bargaining agreement uh, rules and regulations, kind of as, as we are. They do have them, but not quite the same as the the NHL. And um, you know, so in, in my case, I I figured that the best way of dealing with it is to n not go down that road at all. Um, and so I got some. The interesting part of it, especially the last couple years. Uh, the physical therapist and, and athletic trainers and physicians were more than happy to do um, their assessments um, as part of the as part of the physical. So, you know, whether it was a functional movement screen, fusionetics, uh, you know, whatever type of uh, symmetry and asymmetry type uh, screening that they were doing, um, you know, whatever movement type stuff that they could incorporate with regard to that outside of you know, what we were looking at on the ice, um, you know, was part of their structured um, um, viewing. And so that that worked out actually pretty good for us. Mm -hmm. No, that's great. Well, I'm just, um, I know you've got a pretty busy day ahead, Doug, so I'm just want to, um, I want to round up there, but where, where can people uh, keep up to date with what you've got going on? Is there anywhere people can find you online? Yeah, I'm not a Facebook guy or uh, I don't post a lot of stuff. And I'm, you know, so, I'm, you know, honestly, if you just get get a hold of Coach Reed Plus, I would be glad to have, you know, conversations with anybody about, you know, um, sports performance and, and what you're doing with your particular, you know, teams and organizations. Um, but, yeah, I, I'm, I'm not, not really uh, – not one one of those post people. I don't do a lot of that stuff. So, uh, but I'd no, be glad to. I'd, I'd be glad to have anybody reach out through Coachery Plus. Perfect. Happy days. We'll really appreciate your insight, Doug, um, and uh, go through the uh, many years of uh, being on the ground and and go through that. So it's very much appreciated. Thank you very much. My pleasure, Rob. Great talking to you. Cool. Speak soon, Doug. Cheers. Bye bye. Thanks for tuning in to episode 155 of the Pacey Performance Podcast. Hope you enjoyed the chat with Doug and also massive thanks to him for giving up uh, an hour of his time in a very, very busy schedule um, that he's got going on this, uh, this time of year. So also massive thanks to Coach Me Plus, Force Decks and Vild Performance for sponsoring this episode today. So some really quality guests coming up over the next couple of weeks from both sides of the Atlantic. So make sure you uh, press subscribe on your chosen podcast player stroke app uh, and you will get immediate downloads of the podcast as they become live every thursday morning uk time 
So I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Um, Thanks again. Really appreciate all the feedback that I've had coming in and I would love some more. Um, And I will, uh, I'll speak to you in episode 156.